Hi, my name is Wendy Doyle. And more than 50 years ago, I started my life in diapers. Uh, hi, I'm Jill. And I'm Ashley. And this is Poverty Pitfalls and the Price of Diapers. Ashley, <laughs> I feel like I've been gone all summer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> How are I, you? Good. I'm doing good. The train's still rolling. We miss yeah. you. But, um, yeah. But what I really want to know, I'm sure that the, the listeners are dying to know, are you still playing volleyball? <laughs> I'm not. We're, we're, we're done. It's, it's so sad. Season. That was like my only Aww. social activity. During the week. So Is it, are you going to do it again? I think they are. I'm not in charge of organizing it, but I think okay. they are. And we usually do in August a mud volleyball tournament one day. So I'm hoping oh I get invited gosh. to do that. Yeah, My skills have improved a little bit. I was like, oh, good. Jackson gives me such a hard time until <laughs> I'm awful. I'm like, I've gotten a little better. I really have. <laughs> The last game was with a solid B. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> solid B. I love it. I love it. Um, and you, let's see, I, this should air either maybe while you're gone, you've got a, you've got a big event coming up in your life. Yeah. I'm turning 40. Woo! So exciting. Yeah, we're, my, me and my friend are going to go to Vegas. because I've never been there. So I'm trying to create some new memories and that new- will be yeah. exciting super exciting good yeah. it's it's good to go on vacation and you got to go to the beach a little bit this summer and visit family I did yeah my mom and stepdad and Jackson and me it was a small Aww. group but we had fun and got to do our traditional things played putt-putt and tell us about your favorite adventure that's awesome oh my gosh I've all of them it's been incredible I did a um I got to go to New England and and drive down the coast a little bit and do a leadership class at Yale which was life-changing it was really just phenomenal um, and then my daughter just did a writing camp at Sarah Lawrence College in New York. And so I went and hiked every day while she was writing. And it was just yeah. great. And the really exciting news, um, we love Broadway and musicals and decided to go try and get rush tickets to see Music Man starring Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster. No way. Way. Oh and we gosh. got tickets. Wow. <laughs> And it was amazing. And there were only $50 tickets. And um, for, you know, a show that is $300 to $600 tickets, it was incredible. Fifth row. It was amazing. 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 I haven't smiled for that long. It was just, it was a great show. And um, I, I actually love Sutton Foster way more than Hugh Jackman. I mean, I love them both, but Sutton Foster is just an amazing, an amazing performer and um yeah so it was really fun that is so cool yeah so that we ended our trip with that in New York City and it was just yeah it was nice but I have never been happier to be home and to get back to work I just feel really refreshed and ready and um so that's why I'm really excited about our guest today Wendy Doyle with United We um Yeah. Yeah. Take two. So really disappointingly, 
We we actually did this already once earlier this summer and realized three about three quarters of the way through our discussion that somebody forgot to press record. Yeah, that was a tough one. Somebody might have been me. <laughs> it was brutal. I mean, I have never felt so deflated. It was it was really, really rough. So um, Wendy was kind enough to join us for take two when we remembered to rec- to push the record button. Um, and it, she's yeah. Great. She's so she, great to give us another hour because she's a busy lady. She is. And I talk about it a little bit in the podcast, but she is just... Um, she's such a great leader in the Kansas city community and a force of a leader, I think in the Kansas city community. So, um, we're really excited that she took the time to speak with us and we hope that you guys enjoy and learn something and definitely check out, uh, the work that she does. So please enjoy Wendy Doyle. Welcome Wendy. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good, good, good. I know we were just talking about how I've been on vacation for a while and it's so good to be back. And it's just, um, I feel, I'm feeling refreshed and renewed. So hopefully you're feeling some of that. Such a good feeling. You know, it's been so nice just, you know, coming out of the pandemic to be able to do a little bit of traveling again mm-hmm. and going to see people or our family, friends that we haven't seen for a while. So yeah. Oh, that's nice. That's really nice. So let's dive in. Tell us a little bit about, about yourself, Wendy. So a little bit about myself, my background, I grew up in mid-Missouri and, um, you know, grew up, I like to say that I, I shared my life um, with my brother, literally, as I am a twin, um, and it's just the two of us, and, um, you know, grew up in the, you know, 70s when life was really different than it is, you know, today, and, you know, family was very important, um, you know, growing up, and, you know, I just had someone that I could grow up and play with. And, and we have become the dearest friends, my brother and I, and still remain very close. And we definitely have that special twin thing going on when you know you need to reach out intuitively, um, either for positive or maybe something that's not going so well, but we definitely have the twin thing. That That is so cool. So I have to come clean for a minute. uh, If you're listening to this, um, we actually recorded, no, we did not record. We talked to (laughs) Wendy earlier this summer and realized, uh, about three quarters of the way through that we, that I had forgotten to press record. So, but I have to say, Wendy, what one thing I remembered so much from that conversation was you talking about your twin. And I just, that, that is so cool. And that connection that you guys have where you do feel like you pick up on that. Um, and then it's just you two, right? The two of us. The yeah. two of you. Okay. And you talk about growing up in the seventies. It really was a different and kind of magical time, right? So different, right. You know, family was the very core. I mean, I remember that, you know, dinner, family dinners every night was the thing. And we would sit down and we would talk about what happened during the day 
And, um, you know, it just was the time to catch up. And I think that's what brings family so close. I, my family is very close. But I think if I think back and what really contributes to that, it was definitely that family time because you didn't have social media and you didn't have cell phones and you didn't have, you know, a lot of things that we have today. Right. Um, I was just talking to a friend the other day for me, it's the nineties, like the nineties. I just seemed like such an amazing time. Like, can we just go back to the nineties? <laughs> like, really? Maybe it's just for everybody. That's just kind of like, what was so special of- for you, Ashley in the nineties? Well, I loved the music, the culture before social media, when you, you know, you didn't know what everybody else was doing. You just had your friends and you were just kind of in your own life and not in everybody else's life. And there wasn't so much drama over, you know, politics that's splattered all over the place. Like that just gets so, it's just so toxic and it's just all over the place. I I've been off social media kind of, except for my job is social media. So I'm on there for happy bottoms, but personally, I never get on there for myself unless like I have to post a birthday pic or something special like that. But it's just, I don't, it's, I don't thrive in that kind of environment, that online culture. So I just, I miss the days when it was just much more simple and you, fun. <laughs> you were in that sweet spot before the internet and social media and everything really, you were that last generation, weren't you? Right on the cusp. Yeah. That's I'm crazy. like at the tail end of the millennials. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. Um, so Wendy, your family was really close then. Very close. Very close. That's yes. great. And did you, um, did you have a lot of, you said you grew up, um, kind of in, in rural Missouri. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So was there a lot of, you know, I'm just picturing like you bicycling down to meet your friends and you have to be home before the lights come on. Was it that, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And, you know, it was a very safe time. So, you know, a lot of independence, in the summertime, you know, as a child growing up in that very thing, you know, just, you knew what time dinner was and you just needed to be home by then. And then you could just, you know, go meet up with your friends or whatever, whatever the case may be. But yeah, it was, it was such a different time. Wow. Well, so tell us a little bit before we jump into our next question, which is when and how did you learn about poverty? Um, tell us a little bit more about what you do and and maybe if you're willing, kind of what led to that path for you. Sure. So I serve as the president and CEO of United We, which stands for United Women's Empowerment. Our work is focused to advance all women economically and civically. And We do the economic component of our work by investing in evidence-based research, and um, it's both qualitative and quantitative, and then utilize that information to look at what are the economic barriers that are holding women and their families back, and then build out a public policy agenda and really lean into what we can do to really reduce Um, red tape and barriers for women and their families. And then on the civic component side of our our mission, we have an initiative called the Appointments Project, which educates um, women about how to serve in this capacity of serving on a board or a commission at the city, county, or state level to really have positive representation 
of the community, but also to have women at the policy decision-making table. And then we also work with elected officials on educating them about the importance of diversity and representation. And then we work together um, to really help women navigate the process. Such important work and even more important now with the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Um, Have you, is that affecting the work that you do or just making it even more important now more than ever? You know, I definitely think just, it's just the, um, you know, it's for our organization, we, you know, we're focused on the economic development lane and we know there's both both sides of the aisle on the issue, you know, um, and it's been our goal that we leave that issue up to other organizations. We know that that's their priority, but it is, you know, there's so much that's happening in addition to that, just what's happening, you know, just in the environment, in our culture, that's, that things are really shifting, that's definitely impacting um, our work and our ability to really be able to move some policy priorities forward. And I would say, you know, just kind of stepping back, really, you know, we had the pandemic and then we had, you know, social unrest that was happening in our country. Um, you know, it's just been a compounding effect that's making things, things challenging. Definitely. Well, yeah, I think, again, that that economic focus and getting women more represented is just, um, I mean, it's always been important, but it just seems to be more and more important every day. So it's incredible. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, after talking with so many people, um, you know, in Missouri and Kansas, where we do our policy work, it feels at times that we're falling backwards, you know, we're taking steps backwards. And we certainly know that that was true just, you know, with women participating in the workforce during the pandemic, but, you know, having to choose between work and family, childcare, remote school, you know, things were just different, but it just feels like in so many areas that the conversation has changed and we have regressed. And now more than ever, it's important for this work for us to continue so that we can, you know, try to get at least back to a level set of where we were pre-pandemic and try to accelerate forward. But it's challenging. Definitely. And yeah, kind of to tie it back to what you were saying, Ashley, I, I, um, for me personally, I think if I was in the line of work that you're in, Wendy, it would be, it would feel defeating to me a lot or just, you know, like you're always going at that uphill battle, but um, I'm guessing you've got a big passion for it. So maybe it, it doesn't it's feel passion. that way for you. Right. You no, know, we get our victories and yes. we haven't really let this bigger, you know, cloud and, you know, mm-hmm. challenging that we're talking about in our conversation, hold us back. We mm-hmm. are getting some wins and Good. we just want to keep, you know, chipping away at it. Good. That's awesome. So that leads into the next question a little bit. When and how did you learn about poverty? So I actually, this was such a good question. I I learned about poverty. I certainly, what I thought was poverty growing up, saw some classmates, you know, in primary and secondary school that I thought maybe were experiencing poverty. But again, you know, the class divide when I was growing up wasn't as prominent as it is today. So I thought I, I probably knew, but I really 
um, witnessed poverty when I went to college and did a community service project of going into the inner city and delivering smoke detectors um, to families' homes. And I saw a part of the city and saw a different way that people lived. And that really was, was eye-opening. And that experience is what I recall significantly of witnessing and seeing poverty. Wow. And how did you get into, what a, what an interesting concept and a kind of a neat opportunity. How did you get into that? Yes. Going well, into the homes. Yes. I, you know, I was a student at Rockhurst University and this was our community service project that we did. And so it was organized and we had the opportunity to just, you know, knock on doors and leave smoke detectors. But in some some cases, they may have had a smoke detector, but needed batteries changed and couldn't do it. So we actually went into the home and it was just, it was just overwhelming, um, you know, eye-opening, but it really sparked my passion for this work too, that I saw that there was others that needed a voice that needed help and support. And that's what really motivated me to really go into this line of work. So we are all leaders in some way. Can you tell me how you're a leader and if there was a defining point or person that led to that? I would definitely say that, you know, my experience at Rockhurst University, where it was really teaching you how to be a servant leader, is where I developed that foundation of what servant leadership meant um, the, the community service projects, you know, that we just, that I just described is just one example that really contributed to, um, you know, aligning my, my personal and personal values with that line of work. Um, but I can't say that there's one specific individual that perhaps motivated me except for, you know, just having surrounding myself with just really inspirational leaders and certainly just, you know, having that exposure and learning about servant leadership um, in college just was, you know, monumental for me. Wow, that's awesome. Did your family growing up? Absolutely. In both my parents, my mother and my father, um, you know, I really saw them always giving back. I mean, always just whether it be, you know, neighbor, neighbor helping neighbor, that was really, you know, an important part of that history, you know, moment in time. And then my mom was a second generation business owner and she was an accountant by training and she took over the business from her mother who started the business in 1939. And my mom really instilled in me, which is probably why I ended up in this line of work, is the importance of women supporting women. And I always saw her supporting and giving back to other women business owners, um, you know, trying to ensure that they were successful. But I really, you know, and both of my parents, they were always giving back, just not only just, you know, advice, counsel, but time, you know, just contributing and giving back within the community always. So it was very much a part of, you know, our family culture, our family dynamics, mm -hmm. um, always jumping in and helping. That's really cool. Um, does your brother have that same spirit as well? Yes. Your twin? <laughs> yes. He's very, he's very generous and very giving. Oh, good. For very sure. Good. Um, so why do you think some of us end up in a pile of it and some of us get out clean? 
Yeah, I think we all are destined for that, to, to end up in a pile of it at some point. And I think, you know, it's never when it, it's never when you can expect or when you can anticipate. And then all of a sudden you're in it and you're like, I'm in it. OK, I'm in the pile of it. Um, but I think, you know, as we come out of it is really a defining moment for individuals and their, their leadership. And there's always two ways to go. You know, there's always the fork in the road, the positive or the negative. And I always, you know, I like to think that there, you know, are tremendous lessons learned, you know, as a result of that experience and, and tear more on the positive side of, you know, landing in a pile of it. Um, and it just seems like too, you know, when you're in it, it just, there's more that just keeps coming at you for some reason. <laughs> but I am convinced that we, you know, that we never are given more than we can't handle and can't learn. And it just seems to be like looking back, there's lessons learned so much in, in a positive way. But when you're, it's just, you know, overwhelming when you're in it. <laughs> you're right. It's that saying when it rains, it pours. And it really, really does. <laughs> and yeah. Sometimes. And I think you you come clean out of it if you take more of the positive path forward. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm convinced of that. Yeah, definitely. Have you always been, I mean, you're, I feel like from, from my view, you are a pretty important leader in our community and the work that you're doing has, have you always just kind of been a natural leader? Um, hmm, that's so know, kind of you to say. Yeah, well, <laughs> of course. Sure. You know, I think, you know, as I am, I'm a very um, work-driven, focused individual, and I think because I take my work, you know, so seriously, as most people do, you know, it's just, um, and maybe that because of that, you know, seriousness and coming from, you know, a more rural part of the the state where you've got, you know, I like to think good work ethic. But I think it's just a combination. Um, you know, there's always that debate of, are you, do you learn how to be a leader or is it just a natural gift? Um, I, I'm a firm believer that it's probably a combination of both. Um, but it's really kind for you to say, I'm not, I think it's probably more that it's just the tenacity, motivation and work ethic combination that's probably <laughs> right. accelerated me into what you think of <laughs> Of me, but yeah, yeah, I know we, we, it's, it's hard. It's hard for, um, us women, I think to, to always view ourselves as leaders, but I really find leadership in almost everybody that I meet. Like, I just, I think it's something I look for and it's hard for people to often see, but there's, you know, so many ways that we as women all lead every day. So a, a little, I'm going to go off questions here a little bit again, what, you know, in the line of work that you're doing, what can listeners now, like, where's a good place for them to start to, you know, make a difference and get involved? You know, at this moment in time, what I would just encourage everyone to do is one, ensure that you're registered to vote. And if you are not, please do so. But if you know someone who isn't, encourage them to do so. And I think the, the one action item, you know, as we're coming up on primary and then the midterm election, we all have a responsibility. It is a privilege. 
in our country to be able to vote. Not everyone in the world has that, you know, opportunity and we have, we should all be exercising our right to vote. So I think just a small step forward is let's just show up on election day and just, you know, voice our opinion. Um, that's important. So that's, you know, a step forward. I think a second thing for your listeners, you know, we are such an evidence-based research-driven organization that we have lots of information data available on our website. I know that is not for everyone, but I kind of geek out on looking at um, the data and the facts. And right now we also are doing a Kansas town hall series. So getting out and going around the state of Kansas, just really having conversations with women about, you know, what's working well, what's not, what are some gaps or some economic challenges they themselves and their families are experiencing. And we have one coming up at the end of August that is virtual. So if your listeners have an interest, you know, you can go to our website to find out more and just join us in that conversation. Great. We will be sure to include that information um, when the podcast goes live. And, you know, I was, I know you did these town halls in Missouri as well, and I was a part of those conversations. So I know the answer to this, but can you tell us a little bit um, about, you know, tell the listeners a little bit about what, what you learned and what the needs are and maybe what you, what the focus is now, um, at least for what you've learned in the state of Missouri. So what we learned in Missouri and we're testing it, and it is true in Kansas too, childcare is the significant barrier, economic barrier for women and families. And I have to, you, you know, this best. Um, and what, you know, surprised me is just not, I'm a, um, I have no children of my own. So it's, I want, this is such a great learning opportunity for me, but just hearing, you know, even in rural parts of the state, having to spend money uh, to put a deposit down for a potential slot in a childcare facility with no refund, you know, coming your way and is, you know, spent, you know, spending $400 just to be able to try to get a childcare slot for a child is just significant. And just hearing conversations that families are you know, talking about identifying where the childcare facility will be for them, for their families before they even start to do their family planning. And it just, you know, in this world that shouldn't even be, you know, a barrier. When families want to start a family, they should be able to. And this childcare has just become such an economic challenge. And as an organization, we, we really are prioritizing it. That's great. Um, do you also look at the, even the staffing difficulties then as well for those childcare organizations? Absolutely. What we learned is definitely that it was a stressed industry before the pandemic and you add a pandemic on top of it in both Missouri and Kansas, significant closures, 300, 400, um, you know, facilities closed with no plans to reopen. So the supply is not meeting the demand. And then you add quality, accessibility, um, affordability. Those are significant barriers. But then just getting, as you identified, the, the workforce to be able to, to offer the childcare. Right. It, is, it is significant. It is. Yeah. And then, of course, I have to tie it back to diapers. And we know, um, you know, Happy Bottoms uh, participated in a nationwide economic impact study. Um, we won't have the results till later this year, but we already do know that families are missing as many as four days of work a month because they don't have diapers to send to their childcare um, provider. 
So again, another economic issue. I mean, if you're missing four days of work a month and you're most likely an hourly employee, so you're not, you know, you're not, you're not making that money up um, and you're probably not going to keep that job very long if, if you keep missing work. So it's, there's a, yeah, there are so many things I think that go into that childcare piece that people just don't, don't realize it's, it's so many, so many different um, aspects. It is, it is. And, you know, I think the best thing that we can do is keep the issue out in front and we all just keep talking about it, whether it be the diaper challenge or, or the workforce challenge. I think just keeping it out in front, creating that awareness mm-hmm. is going to help be able to move forward to get, get some action, get some solutions. Definitely. So what do you most value? I most value my family for sure. Yeah. And as, as you've learned, we just are, you know, really supportive and um, just, you know, I w- in addition to family, I just really feel like we're just good friends you know, and it's just, I just have cherished, cherished my family tremendously. That's really amazing. I, I think that's, um, not something everyone has. So that is, you're very blessed and lucky to have that and to feel like your family is your friends. That's awesome. I love I that. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Wendy, is there anything else you would like to share with us? It's just been such a great conversation. We could just keep continuing. I know we could. (laughs) I have one quick question, Wendy. So this being an election year, what does representation among women candidates look like? I mean, do do you feel that women are well represented in this cycle? Never, never as well represented as we should be. And again, you know, we really like, we'd really like to see 51% representation because that's what the population composition is, 51% women, um, 49% men. And, you know, in our, in our state, in our, our, in Washington, it's 28% representation. And here in Missouri, Kansas, at the state level, it's about 22, 23% representation. We just have a long way to go. Just, you know, I'd love to just get us in the 30%, but, you know, just the number of women candidates are not, you know, there's interest we know there's interest. We know there's good women who would be great candidates. It's just this, you know, political environment that women, you know, we talk all the time and hear from women. They just don't want to engage in this. You know why? It's not doesn't really seem like good return on investment. Um, so we, you know, political discourse is something that's really important to me. That you know we should be able to work across the aisle to get things done instead of you know creating this significant divide. And I think that's the cause and effect of what we're seeing for women. More work to be done. <laughs> More work to be done for sure. Definitely. Well, we really appreciate your time and this discussion. It's. Uh, very important information. So we will be sure to link the website so that everybody can check, check out, um, do a little deep dive into the work that you're doing and get involved and, um, and keep up and learn more. So thank you so much, Wendy. We appreciate thank you. it. It's my yeah. pleasure. Yeah. Good to be with you. Yeah. Bye, Thanks Wendy. a lot. Wendy, that was Wendy. That was, she's, um, doing incredible work. I think she's a really important leader because she's very tenacious. You can tell Mm -hmm. that just by talking to her and the work that she's accomplishing, but she also just has such a 
calm and yes. passionate demeanor that I think she's really able to um, engage with people and gain people's trust. And um, she's competent, obviously. So yeah, I think she's just a great person for the work that she's leading. Agree. And such a smart cookie. We didn't really talk about that um, a ton, but I think, you know, they do lead so much by data and talking to the community to really do the work. And it's just like we said, I think it's more important than ever right now, the work that she's doing. Just incredible work. And hopefully some of you can join the um, town hall session that they're having that's open to everyone. Um, it's really, like I mentioned, I sat in on those on the Missouri side, and it's just really interesting to connect, connect with people all over the state and connect with women specifically and hear the challenges and struggles and the, you know, the topics that come up in, in their area and what, what the needs are. Um, and then to see how United we is putting that to work, um, and to really affect changes. It's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you got to engage, at this point in time and you got to be educated about what's going on because it does affect your daily life. I think people are realizing that they're going to have to start mm-hmm. engaging in the process. Because it does. We- and she's right. The best way to do that is to vote. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't blame women for not wanting to step up and, you know, run for things and be in office. I just can't imagine how stressful and, you know, you have to have a real passion, but there's something real simple you can do without putting yourself out there like that. And that is just to get out and to vote. So if you're not registered vote, we'll put a link to that as well. Um, in the bio. So, all right, well, we will see you next time and we hope you enjoyed Wendy Doyle. Thanks.